Well, good morning. Uh, If you're a guest with us at Southside, I want to say a special welcome to you. And hopefully you've already started filling out your communication card at the front of your program this morning. And on the back, there is a place for you if you care to take notes and follow along uh, through our study this morning. You are welcome to do that. But I want to just say how glad I am that you're here worshiping with us today. And you are welcome in this place. And uh, we are beginning a brand new series. So it's it's a good day if you've chosen today to come and be with us for the first time. Uh, I was thinking this week as I began to prepare uh, for this series that uh, I wonder how many of you have been in a situation where you've had to make an introduction for someone that you didn't really know. Anybody ever been in that situation? Maybe it was at work or there was a situation in a school setting or, or where you just had to make a formal introduction and maybe you had some, some information about the person and, and you're, you're reading it but you realize everybody out there could read the same thing you're reading. You don't really know the person you're introducing. You just have to go through the, ob, uh, you know, the obligatory introduction. Uh, maybe more common for us is, is when we're out and about in the community and maybe we're with a a family member, a spouse or a friend and then we encounter someone that we've met before but you can't remember their name. Anybody relate to this? And so you you know there, there they are and you know because you're with someone else you're going to have to introduce them. And you're going through your mind, what's their name? And you come up with all these little, you know, little tricks about, so you introduce your friend first, hi, you know, like if I'm with, hi, this is my wife, Sherry, and my hope is that Sherry will say, hi, how are you? And then the person will say their name so that I don't have to, you know, expose the fact that I don't know their name. Anybody else ever done that before? Okay, okay, thank you. That makes me feel so much better. Well, as I began to prepare this series on the Holy Spirit, I realized that, uh, that talking about the Holy Spirit for many of us may feel very much like we're making an introduction of someone that we don't know very well. The Holy Spirit has been called the forgotten member of the Trinity by, by many theologians, and I think it's especially true in the church in the West. And there are a number of reasons why we neglect the Holy Spirit or why we fail to talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, God the Father, the Creator, we can sort of uh, understand that, or at least we think we can understand that. Uh, surveys say that over 95% of people in America acknowledge the existence of a higher power, a Creator God. And so God, we can talk about God the Father in some vague terms. For those of us who are Christians, we find it um, easier to talk about Jesus because of the historical existence of Jesus. We have historical records of Jesus. We know what Jesus said. We know things Jesus did. So we can find it easy to talk about Jesus. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, sometimes we're not always sure what to say. And for many of us, it might even be based in a fear that if I talk about the Holy Spirit, I don't want to be categorized as one of those people. You know, you know the ones I'm talking about, that, that, there's, that they talk so much about the Holy Spirit, and it's a lot of talk, and they sort of hype up the Holy Spirit and ramp up this high-charged emotionalism, and, and it just it begins to sort of look something different, and you don't know. You think, well, that's probably in the Bible, but I don't know what that means, so I'm going to avoid that altogether. And then we re- retreat over to a more intellectual approach and we think well you know we're people of reason and understanding and we'll study and we'll know about the Holy Spirit but but we don't necessarily want to talk experientially about the Holy Spirit because that begins to sound too much like that other extreme and here's what I've come to believe that Satan is pleased with either perversion of the Holy Spirit he knows what we often forget that the Holy Spirit is in fact God 
And Satan does not tremble when we concede to the existence of a higher power. He does not even mind an intellectual argument to the historical existence of Jesus. But he cannot stand for a person to acknowledge and live their life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we begin this series, I'd like to offer just a few reasons why I think a series on the Holy Spirit is so important for us. And, and, and the, the smallest reason, the simplest reason, was I realized over the course of my five and a half years at Southside, we have not done a series on the Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked about the Holy Spirit. I've done messages on the Holy Spirit as parts of other series, but I thought it would be important for us to spend a few weeks focusing specifically on the Holy Spirit. But the more important reason is because I believe the church in the West is dying. And I wonder if it could be because we think we have the resources and the knowledge to run the organization and have ignored the one person who can truly empower and give life to the church. While we're busy programming and planning how to run the church, have we neglected the very source of life that the church needs to succeed and thrive and truly be a transformative power in our culture and in our society? When you read about the church in the New Testament, I'm struck by how often people acknowledge the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. After the story of Pentecost, when there were thousands of people saved and they were leaving and the church was the talk of the town, they weren't talking about Peter and his great sermon. They weren't talking about John and how he supernaturally preached the gospel in foreign languages. What they were talking about was the power of the Holy Spirit who had showed up, shown up there. The New Testament doesn't talk about the church in terms of programs or the personalities of the apostles. Instead, it talks about the presence of God made manifest through the power of the Holy Spirit. So often we feel like our churches lack something, but we can't quite put our finger on it. And so we attempt to fill that hole or that void that we feel with some culture of entertainment or consumerism. And the church in America has become more and more and more about less and less and less. A.W. Tozer said almost 60 years ago about the church in America, here's what he said, we may, we may as well all face it. The whole, the whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to the substitute for the joy of the Lord and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. And people may leave churches talking about how great a sermon was or how much they enjoyed the music or how good the children's programming was or how great the Sunday school was, but do they leave our churches saying, I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in that place today? Can people attending our church say that when they came here, they encountered God through the power of the Holy Spirit? Because if that's not what's happening, then what are we doing? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. He said this, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now let that sink in for just a minute. And then think about how much talking we do at church. And he says the kingdom does not consist in talk, but in power. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, Paul's saying, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
You know what Paul's saying? Is he saying, I did not, con- I did not create faith in you by talking a lot and by, by exposing a high level of intellect. I didn't convince you on intellectual terms. You came to faith because you experienced the power of God as made manifest in the Holy Spirit. And I began to think how many of us who are Christians, who are here today, who would say, I'm a Christian, how many of us came to faith not based on the intellectual argument of a smart biblical theologian, but because we truly experienced the power of God at work in our lives. That's what Paul said he wanted for the church at Corinth. Christians, I believe, are living powerless lives. The neglect of the Holy Spirit in our church has equated to Christians, individual believers, failing to live in the power that God has provided us through his Holy Spirit. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this Holy Spirit. We've called this series Reveal, and uh, we are going to uh, answer a few questions or attempt to answer a few questions. This week we're going to say, Who is the Holy Spirit? Next week we want to talk about what the Holy Spirit does, and the week after that, what difference does it make or why does it matter? And I believe it makes a tremendous difference. And this series is about more than just the Holy Spirit, which sometimes we have trouble describing or understanding, this series really is about how the Spirit works in inside each of us. This week, if you're a member of Southside or you attend here regularly, you hopefully received an email from me inviting you to participate in a spiritual health survey. That's part of this process because we believe what happens here on Sunday mornings, while critically important, is, is only the, the beginning point for what God wants to do in your life all week long. So I hope you'll take that survey. It takes about 30, 35 minutes. Uh, it's completely private. We don't see the results. We see a collective results of the total of the church. But I hope that you'll begin to take some of the truths that we're discussing and look inward to your own life and say, can I see the Holy Spirit at work in and through me? Who is the Holy Spirit? First, maybe we better begin by asking the question, can we even acknowledge the existence of the spiritual? So often in our world, we're dominated in a, in a, in a worldview that sort of diminishes the spiritual aspect and, and heightens uh, the materialistic ac- aspects of things. Uh, we, we, we sort of diminish the spiritual in favor of the physical. But there are non-materialistic realities that we all acknowledge Things that are just as real but our senses can't often grasp or touch. Let me give you just a few examples. When's the last time you you hugged somebody that you really, really loved? How, How do you quantify or describe that? I was thinking about, thinking about Van and you coming home last week and what it must be like after being apart for nine months to see your family and your children. How do you quantify that? How do, how do, you, how do you put words to describe that? What about when you hold a newborn baby for the first time or you experience the birth of a, of a child? It just goes beyond what we can describe in merely physical terms. There's something else happening. There's something in the spiritual realm we use this kind of language all the time when we talk about somebody and say, oh, he's just, he's a really spiritual person. What do we mean by that? Even non-Christians say that. They, they often mean, well, that person's sort of tuned into realities that we, can't always, that we can't always grasp with our senses. We have an internal sense of our own spirit. And we have an internal sense of the spirit around us as well. When you've, when you've encountered somebody who said something harmful and you, you might say, well, that just crushed my spirit. What do we mean by that? Is it strictly emotion or is there something else going on? Or maybe you've encountered this with somebody else and you say, well, when she walks into the room, she just lights the place up. 
Well, how, 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 how is that so? Does light emanate out of her hair and fingertips? What do we mean by that when somebody comes in who's, who's got just such a powerful presence that, that they attract attention to themselves? We can also mean this in, in negative ways where we talk about, I just don't know, something felt wrong when I walked in the room. There was something, there was something oppressive about that place. Uh, maybe there was a sense of fear or a sense of danger or there was a sense of anger or hatred. There are good spiritual senses and there are bad spiritual senses. When you look at the beauty of art or you hear a beautiful piece of music. But there's also bad senses when you understand the power, the bondage that people may be in when it comes to just uh, hatred and racism, greed, addictions. See, there's a sense in which this idea of the spiritual realm is kind of what animates us. It's kind of what motivates us in some sense. And when you go to look at the Bible, you'll find that the Bible acknowledges the existence of the spiritual and actually tells us that what is spiritual is more real than what we perceive in the flesh because what is in the flesh is temporary, but what is in the spiritual, what is in the spiritual realm is eternal. But human language strains under the weight of such descriptions. We don't often know how to describe these things and when you look at the bible you find the bible even has a difficult time uh, expressing it in human language in the old testament you'll find a word called shekinah this is sort of a spiritual manifestation of god in the old testament that when the when the cloud by day led the children of israel through the desert there was this presence of god in that place different people who had encounters with god and it's described as the shekinah some manifestation some intangible presence of god in the new testament uh, in the book of acts chapter 2 when the holy spirit showed up in the upper room uh, it's described this way it was what seemed to be tongues of fire notice what it says it's what seemed to be It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit was tongues of fire. It's almost as if the author is saying, I don't really know how to describe this. The best I can do is say it was like tongues of fire that came down on everybody. When you read about the baptism of Jesus, one of the places, by the way, in the Gospels where you see all three members of the Trinity present at once, God the Father who speaks and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, Jesus being baptized, and then it says that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit was a dove. It just said the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. So you kind of get a sense of of how difficult it is to, to put words to describing the Holy Spirit. But the words that are most often used in both the Old and the New Testament to describe the Holy Spirit is wind or breath. Wind or breath. And if you think about that, it it makes a lot of sense because if you were to go outside on a windy day, you would feel the force of the wind, but you wouldn't be able to see it, would you? You might might, uh, smell a fragrance in the air, but not really even know where the source of the fragrance came from. I mean, there, there's a sense in which we know where the wind, uh, we, we know the wind is touching us, but we don't know where it came from and we don't know where it's going. And so wind and breath are, are the most often repeated descriptors of the Holy Spirit. Actually, in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word ruah 
means wind, breath, or spirit. It's translated as all three. It's the same exact word. And in the New Testament, in Greek, it's the same. It's the pneuma, and it's translated wind, breath, or spirit. So anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the word spirit, you could just as easily substitute that for the breath of God or the wind. I mean, there's, there's something about this that defies our ability to, to grab hold of, to control. It goes beyond human understanding, but it also goes beyond human manipulation and control. So I want to just talk about a few characteristics of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit, who he is. First of all, the Holy Spirit is God and has eternally existed. The Holy Spirit is God and has eternally existed. And this is so important because the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a person. He's an equal member of the Godhead. He's not the also-ran. He's a critical, critical critical being for us to understand it's a critical expression of God's presence and power among us right here right now today in the New Testament the New Testament writers will use spirit and God interchangeably which leads us to to talk about something that maybe you've wrestled with like many of us have well how do you describe the trinity I mean, that's not a word we find in the Bible, and yet it's a good word that theologians have developed to describe the, the presence of God, how God has presented himself to us in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've had non-believers or people from other faiths even say, well, Christians believe in more than one God. And maybe, like many of us, you've stumbled and stuttered and tried to explain it the best you can. There are all kinds of analogies that we've used. You know, maybe you've talked about an egg an egg has a shell it has the white and it has the yolk but it's one thing Uh, maybe you've talked about a a clover where it's uh, three leaves but one stem maybe you've talked about the three uh, the 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 three way h three ways h2o can be presented it can be steam it can be ice it can be water but all of those analogies uh, while they get at some aspect of describing the trinity they all fall terribly short don't they None of them actually capture the mystery, and none of them are sufficient to describe the indescribable. And that's because you and I will never be able to understand God, because he is infinite and we're finite. I mean, it would be like trying to explain the internet to an ant. I mean, I, mean, I don't mean your A-U-N-T, by the way, although that may be just as hard, if, depending on who your aunt is. I mean, It's so difficult for us to comprehend something that goes beyond human intellect, beyond human understanding. How can can the created completely understand the creator? It's impossible. And so we, we, we try in the best we can to understand God, but we know that he has revealed himself to us as God the Father, the creator of all, the author and sustainer of everything. God the Holy Spirit. That, that, who has come and dwelled with us, and, and God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to give us life that we might have life. But we find the Holy Spirit with God from the very beginning of Scripture. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be in a number of different passages, but Genesis chapter 1, we meet the Holy Spirit very early in the Bible. Here's what it says, Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The Holy Spirit was present in creation. And listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus speaking to the disciples, and he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, 
That's another term for the Holy Spirit. Another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. That the Holy Spirit is God and he has eternally existed. And listen to this. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God. Luke chapter 11 verse 13. Jesus speaking to the crowd says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit is God, has eternally existed, and is the gift of God. Listen to to this part of Peter's sermon, how he closes his sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 7, Jesus again, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's trying to prepare them for the fact that he is about to be crucified that he will be buried, that he will rise again, but he's also preparing them for the fact, the reality, that 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended back to heaven. He was leaving them. And listen to how he's saying this. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this particular verse, John 16, 7, has really captured my mind this week. Think about what Jesus is saying. It is better for you, for me, not to be present with you physically, but instead for you to have the Holy Spirit. I thought about this. I thought, well, what if I had a choice this week? What if somebody, what if God just said, okay, Gary, today you can either have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit alive in you, or you can spend the entire day with Jesus. Which would you choose? I think so many of us, would choose to spend the day with Jesus. But by Jesus' own words, he's saying, you would not be making the best choice because you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit already is empowering you. And Jesus says, that's so much better than me being with you. But why? I thought, why, why would I choose that? I mean, it, really, it kind of bothered me all week long. Why would I choose to spend the day with Jesus instead of acknowledging that the Holy Spirit being with me is better than that? And I came up with just a few reasons, and maybe you would share these reasons with me. Because I could see him. Because I could touch him. Because I could hear his voice and I could know it was him. Do you know what that demonstrates on my part? A lack of faith. Because faith is the substance of things we hope for, it's the existence of things we can't see. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so when I choose to spend the day with Jesus rather than to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm really demonstrating a lack of faith on my own part, but it's more serious than that. Because I realize something else, that, that if Jesus were with me physically... I could keep him out of my head. I could keep him out of my heart. And I could manage my relationship with him better. You you know, it's it's like a good friend. I mean, you think of your friends. You love your friends. You love to spend time with your friends. But you don't want to live with your friends. You don't want to be with them 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You You want there to be a time where you said, Okay, I'm done spending time with you now. Now I'm going to go do what I want to go do. And I realized... 
That's part of the reason why I'd rather be with Jesus. Because I could manage that relationship. I could control. Now, Jesus, I don't want you to listen to what I'm going to say next, so I'm just going to go over here where you can't hear me. Jesus, I don't want you to see what I'm going to do next, so I'm going to go over here and, and do something that I don't want you to see. I don't want you to see the way I'm going to treat this person, the way I'm going to respond to this situation. You see, if we can keep Jesus at a distance, we can manage the relationship. and We can get from him what we want on our terms when we want it. But Jesus said, listen, it is so much better for you for me to leave and for you instead to have the Holy Spirit, which leads me to the next truth about understanding the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God in you. When the announcement of the birth of Jesus came to Mary and Joseph, the angel Gabriel said, you are to name him Emmanuel because he will be God, what? With us. That God was God had left the throne room of heaven, had come to earth, humbled himself, taken on flesh, and he is God with us. But you know what the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is God in us. It's the indwelling of God's presence inside of us. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not this room. Not the most beautiful cathedral you could ever see somewhere else. That's not where God lives. God doesn't want to dwell in some building where you can leave him there and lock the doors as you go out and then come back and visit him when you're ready to be in his presence. Instead, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I just wonder what kind of condition your temple's in. What have you exposed your temple to? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God inside of you and the Holy Spirit is the source of life. John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. So let me ask, how much attention have you given your flesh as opposed to your spirit? How much time do you spend caring for your body, which we should all do because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But, but think about this. If Jesus said the, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing, how much more should we focus on the Spirit indwelling inside of us and what God's doing inside of us? We should pay more attention to that than anything else about our existence because it is the source of life. If you go back and read the creation account, you find that God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground which means that his body existed before it had life. The Bible only says that Adam came to life when God breathed on him. Ruah, the breath of God, filled the nostrils and the lungs of Adam. And Adam was animated and came to life by the power of the Spirit of God inside of him. And God says, Adam... You may eat from any tree, but don't choose this one tree because this means you're choosing sin over me. And of course, we know the choice that all humans have made. And that sin robs the life out of us. That our biology, our flesh goes on existence, but our spirits are dead. We are dead according to the scriptures. Until God sent Jesus and his death on the cross 
was payment for the sins, and his resurrection was power, was demonstrated the power of God over sin, death, and the grave. And then just shortly after the resurrection, Jesus shows up in the upper room. He comes and appears to the disciples. And listen to what happens in John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. One of the strangest passages of Scripture, maybe in the entire book of John, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That Jesus breathed life back into the disciples who were spiritually dead. And that's what Jesus does. That he returns to us what sin has taken away. The breath of God, the spirit of God. Not just oxygen filling our lungs and and giving us life. But the spirit of God filling our life, empowering us, equipping us to do and be all that God has called us to be. This is why it says in Acts 17, in him we move and breathe and have our being. That he animates us. He fills us with breath and with life. Finally, the Holy Spirit is the power of God at work in and through his people. The Holy Spirit is the power of God at work in and through his people. And this is why it is so important for us to talk about this. Because I believe there's been a gross neglect of the Holy Spirit in the church in the West. And I believe it's the power that's missing from our churches. And it's the power that's missing from our lives. It may be the very thing that you are missing. That you feel like you're suffocating. And you can't get your breath. Have you ever been in a place where you couldn't breathe? Has, has, has the wind ever been knocked out of your lungs? And in the moment you recognize that you can't breathe, does anything else even matter? <laughs> Nothing else matters. And yet I'm convinced we walk around spiritually gasping for breath for most of our lives, totally unaware that we are dying for a lack of the breath of God, the Spirit of God inside of us. I think this is so important because I just believe that apart from the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our churches, the church will continue to struggle and suffer, not just in the the United States, but around the world. There is no human solution for what our culture is facing, for the challenges the church faces. Only a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit is going to affect the change we need in our lives, in our churches, and in our world. And I want to be a part of something that defies human explanation. Don't you? Don't you want to be a part of something that, you, that people point to and they say there's no way that that, that that was the product of anything human beings did? That's a God-sized event. I believe God wants to do that in you and in his church. But I believe until we come to recognize and acknowledge the power of the Holy Spirit that's available, we'll continue to gasp for breath and struggle to find the power of God available to us. So I want to ask you a couple questions, and I want you to, to wrestle with these this week. They're printed on the back of your bulletin, so maybe you'd want to put that somewhere to remind you. But when was the last time you undeniably saw or felt the Holy Spirit at work in or around you? When was the last time you undeniably saw or felt the Holy Spirit at work in or around you? 
Because if I believe what the scripture says, that ought to be as common an occurrence as the breath that I take. If I truly believe what the scripture says, then I ought to be as aware of the Holy Spirit as I am of the air I am breathing right now. See, we have more information about the Holy Spirit available to us than the people in the New Testament had. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, they didn't have the New Testament. The people in the book of Acts didn't have the Bible like we have it today. And so we today have more information available to us about Jesus Christ and about the Holy Spirit than they had. It is not a lack of knowledge that plagues Christians today. It's a lack of experience. You can talk about them all you want. You can hype the emotion all you want. But until you experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not experiencing the life and the power of God at work inside of you. My second question is this. How can knowing what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, how can knowing what we talked about today help you experience him this week? Maybe for some of you it's just the acknowledgement that you don't know enough about him. That you've just avoided him. You've avoided reading about him. You've sort of um, maybe intellectualized it. But that he is God and he's eternally existed. Maybe you would go back to your Bible and read with eyes wide open to see where can I see the Holy Spirit in the Scripture. For some of you, maybe it's the realization that the Holy Spirit is the gift of God. And you've never really considered that. That God's gift to you is himself. I mean, we talk about that a lot when we talk about God giving us Jesus Christ. That he gave himself on the cross through his sacrificial death. But what about the fact that God has given you life in the Spirit to come and dwell in you? What an amazing gift that is. Maybe for you this week, it's to think about the fact that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And maybe this week you'll be more conscious of what you're allowing to come into the temple of the Holy Spirit to cohabitate with God. Maybe you'll be more careful about what you watch, what you listen to, or where you go. Maybe, maybe you're feeling powerless and you feel like your, uh, your Christian walk and every, it's just a struggle and it's a labor. And maybe that's because you realize I'm doing this out of my own strength and my own knowledge and my own ability and I'm not tapping into the power of God. Maybe you would just pray, Lord, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to animate me because I can't do this on my own. Maybe some of you are here today and you realize that you are dead. I mean, you're living, your body's moving, you're breathing, you're taking in oxygen, but you just realize that life, that life that Jesus talked about in the scripture, an abundant life, I don't have that. I don't experience that on a daily basis. And maybe the invitation that Peter extended in the first sermon preached in the church back in Acts chapter 2. Maybe that invitation that Peter extended is something that you would receive today. To repent. Just repent of your old dead way of living. Receive the gift that God has provided for you in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Accept him as your savior and then receive the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. Maybe today you would say, I need to breathe. I need to take in a breath. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray this morning. And as you do that, I want you to do something that you don't often do. 
and that is to think about your breathing. I don't know about you, I go through my entire week and may not once think about the fact that I'm breathing in and exhaling over and over again. But for right now, I want you to think about your breath. Think about as you inhale. What if what you were inhaling wasn't simply oxygen? But what if what you were inhaling was the breath of God itself? And what if with that breath, God were able to bring to you power and life and hope? And what if as you exhaled, God were taking out of you fear and shame and guilt? What if with every breath you were conscious and aware of not God somewhere else, high above in the heavens, not even just a Savior who lived and walked 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet, but what if you were keenly aware that God is with you right here, right now? What if you were to know he's as close as your next breath? Maybe you've been searching for him your whole life. And the realization that all you've needed to do all along is breathe him in. Father, we come to you today. And we repent of the sin of ignoring the precious gift that you've given us of yourself. In the presence of the Holy Spirit. To give us life to restore what sin has taken away from us. And Father, I pray for those who are here today who have simply forgotten to breathe. But I pray more for those who have yet to draw in their first breath that today, maybe when they come to recognize and realize that they lack the life that you offer in abundance, Maybe today they would choose to breathe in, repent of their sins, acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and receive the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, we come to this time of the service and we invite your Spirit to move among us. We know that you're here. We know that you inhabit the praise of your people. And we know, Father, that you choose to dwell inside of us. Father, make us keenly aware and help us to respond to you, even as you're moving in this time. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.